0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to View from the Back Row on the Front Row Network, the podcast network for people who actually like movies. I'm your host, Steve Sykes, and on this podcast, we look at movies through the lens of disability representation and inclusion. In our last episode, we talked about M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable, starring Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Now, what the world didn't know when M. Night released Unbreakable was that he envisioned it as the opening chapter in a trilogy which would continue many years years later with uh, Split and Glass and we'll be chatting about both of those movies today. So who's the we with me? Well I'm joined once again by the host of Convince Me stand-up comic extraordinaire and friend of the podcast Mr. Larry Smith. Welcome to the show Larry. How are you doing?
1: I'm good Steve. Thanks for having me back on and uh, letting me talk about uh, uh, this universe that, that I know I love, but not everyone does. And so, but I'm okay with that.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, and we'll get to, I, I, I envision us probably talking a lot more about Split than Glass because Split is a fantastic movie and then there's Glass, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um we'll get to that a little bit uh, later mm-hmm. on i g- uh, you're
1: gonna make me feel like I'm on my own show trying to <laughs> defend some to things me? here
0: well you know I want to keep it thematic you know <laughs> that seems to be the uh the way to go um so let's let's start off with Split uh which um for when it was released in 2016 uh nobody had a clue until the very end that it had anything to do with any M. Night Shyamalan movies that he had done before. Um, We'll start with a a bit of a synopsis of the movie and then we'll get right to it. This is courtesy IMDB. Uh, The film opens with a uh, birthday party for Claire. Uh, Her classmate, Casey was invited out of pity as Claire tells her father that Casey frequently gets into trouble with teachers and gets set to detention. Uh, Casey calls for a right home, but is told the car broke down. Uh, She's about to take the bus, but Claire's dad insists that she go with them. Uh, The girls leave with another friend, Marcia, uh, and then Claire's dad is approached by an unseen person. Moments later, that person, a man named Kevin, played by James McAvoy, gets into the car. Claire thinks he got in the wrong car by mistake, but Kevin puts on a face mask, sprays the girl with uh, some knockout gas, and uh, they um, are knocked out. Uh, Casey uh, attempts to get out, but Kevin gets her too. Uh, Kevin brings the girls into a windowless room in an unknown location. He pulls Marsh out, takes her outside. And after a brief moment, Marcia runs back into the room after she peed herself uh, at the direction, as it turns out, of Casey. Uh, She tells the others that Kevin wanted her to dance for him. Claire says they need to fight back to get uh, together to get out. Um, Meanwhile, Casey is calm and says they need to find out what they're there for before they make any kind of move. Move. Um, We then see a flashback, uh, which continues on throughout the film, of a five-year-old Casey um, hunting uh, with her father and her Uncle John. Um, It turns out, uh, to make a long story short, that Uncle John uh, is an abuser and um, uh, eventually starts a long history of abusing Casey. So we come back to the present where a therapist, Dr. Karen Fletcher, played by the wonderful news report on three the name well very uh, won. Uh. Uh, um, Barry, uh, uh, regularly in this persona. Uh, meanwhile, back at the makeshift prison, the girls are trying to get way out. Uh, they look through a crack in the door and see what appears to be a woman talking to their captor. Claire and Marcia call to the woman for help. She approaches the door, but it is is Jay Heels. Uh, this alter is known as Patricia, a polite British woman. Uh, Patricia assur- assures the girls that their captor knows why they are there and he is not allowed to touch them. So Karen uh, is uh, back at the um, psychologist Karen's office. She is in a conference, a psychology conference via Skype, where she discusses her patients, most of whom are suffering from dissociative identity disorder, including Kevin. Karen talks about how some identities have capabilities that the other identities may not possess, uh, as well as the way she can sense who has come to the light, which is um, basically the designation for what alter is in control. She adds that people with DID can change their body chemistry with their thoughts. Meanwhile, um, the girls uh, that are captive meet another identity, Hedwig, who has the mannerisms of a nine-year-old boy. He claims that Patricia and Dennis, the persona who captured the girls, are mad at him and that he's in trouble. Uh, Casey talks to Hedwig in an attempt to get out by telling him that Patricia and Dennis are still mad at him and that he's in trouble. Hedwig leaves and the girls start looking for a way out through the walls. Claire finds a hollow spot in the ceiling and starts breaking off the plaster. Hedwig starts to come back, but Casey and Marsha hold the door as Claire tries climbing out. Kevin reverts to Dennis as Claire starts crawling through the vents, where she finds an exit and starts running for help. She hides in a locker, but her trembling breath is so loud that Dennis finds her. He orders Claire to take off her shirt because it's dirty, um, because Dennis uh, apparently has a little bit of OCD where it res- uh, involves cleanliness, um, and then Dennis locks Claire in a room by herself. Uh, in another session with Karen, Kevin returns as Barry. Karen doesn't believe she is really talking to Barry, though. She has noticed certain characteristics that Barry is displaying that are normally seen with altars like Dennis, such as the aforementioned OCD. Barry insists that he's gotten better. Uh, it's at this point that we learn that Kevin has 23 distinct identities. Kevin then becomes Dennis, as Karen mentions a 24th identity, the beast, whom Dennis says is indeed real. Patricia brings uh, Casey and Marcia out for some food. Marcia is forced to remove her skirt, and Casey takes off her flannel shirt. Patricia brings the girls into a dining room and starts to make another sandwich, uh, becoming uh, upset when she accidentally cuts the sandwich crookedly, so she starts making another one, and it's at that point that we connect the dots that Patricia is the one with OCD and not Barry so that uh, the, the therapist may have been right in her suspicion that uh, Kevin was lying about which identity was in the light. Um, Hedwig uh, talks to Casey playfully. Uh, he asks to kiss her and she allows him to, though it is awkward, as you would expect with a nine-year-old. Uh, Hedwig mentions his music collection, how he likes to dance, some Kanye West. Casey asks him to show her his room and his music collection. He takes her there, and she mentions a window that's next to his music, which is just a drawing of a closed window over another drawing of an open window. Hedwig starts to realize that Casey is trying to escape. She becomes frightened, attempts to placate him, Uh, He pulls out a walkie-talkie which Casey uses to start calling for help while fighting off Hedwig. Hedwig subdues Casey and takes the walkie-talkie back. Claire and Marsha attempt to escape using a wire to unlock the door from the outside uh, of Marsha's room, but they are unsuccessful. Uh, Karen, the therapist, goes to Kevin's home and is greeted by Dennis, who invites her inside, and they continue to discuss the Beast, as well as the Horde, which is the name given for the major identities that control Kevin, Dennis, Barry, Patricia, and Hedwig. Karen then becomes genuinely terrified, goes outside and finds Claire trapped in her room, but Dennis pulls Karen away before she can help. Casey finds a laptop with videos on every one of Kevin's identities. She sees one called Orwell, who discusses philosophy, and another named Jade, who is diabetic. Dennis goes to an abandoned train car and starts to transform into the Beast. He is significantly taller and stronger than any other identity. He returns home and finds Karen writing something on a piece of paper. She grabs a small knife as he crawls on the wall and grabs her. Karen starts trying to stab him, but the knife breaks. The beast then squeezes Karen until her spine snaps, and she dies. Casey gets out and tries to find the other girls. She finds Marsha dead with her stomach having been ripped open. Casey then finds Claire alive, but she gets dragged as the beast starts attacking her. Casey finds the paper that Karen wrote on. It says, say his name, Kevin Wendell Crumb. The beast finds Casey, but she repeatedly shouts his name, making him revert to normal. We briefly see a flashback of Kevin and his mother yelling at him as a child by saying his full name and telling him he's made a mess present day Kevin has no memory of what he's done as Casey tells him that he killed Karen, Claire, and Marcia. He tells Casey there's a gun in one of the cabinets and that she must kill him. The major identities start to take control all at once. Casey runs as the beast starts to come back. Casey finds some shells and loads them into the gun. The beast starts crawling up on the ceiling and starts taking out the lights, leaving Casey with no sight to shoot at him. The beast attacks Casey, ripping her shirt and biting her leg, but she gets away. She closes herself in a cage and locks the, or excuse me, loads the gun with more shells. The beast starts bending the bars to get in, but then he notices multiple scars on Casey's body. Another flashback shows little Casey after her father's funeral and the abusive Uncle John telling her he will be her new guardian. The beast then proclaims that Casey is pure-hearted because of her scars, and he leaves her alone. Not long after, a man goes downstairs and finds Casey. He carries her outside to safety. She looks around on the outside and sees many animals in an enclosure realizing that she has been held captive in a zoo medics arrive and take casey in kevin by himself with the horde controlling him completely now uh is reliant on the beast to protect him and the horde the last scene is a diner where people are watching a news report on what kevin did the anchor woman mentions how the beast identity displays characteristics of all of the animals at the zoo where he worked. A patron at the diner mentions that the case is similar to a man who, uh, 15 years earlier, was a uh, serial killer in a wheelchair. When someone can't, uh, or when she can't remember his name, someone next to her replies, "Mr. Glass." we see that it's David Dunn, also played by Bruce Willis, uh, in a surprise cameo. And it is at that point, as we are fading to credits, that we realize that the universe of Unbreakable and Split are shared. And we fade out. And that, in a nutshell, is your plot for the movie Split. So, um, Larry, I I know you've seen this a couple of times, so give me some of your general impressions of Split. Uh, First, um, James McAvoy
1: does not, I mean, I know he's, he's a popular actor and, and he gets a lot of roles, but that man does not get enough credit for just how good he is, um, so if we if we just talk performance wise, James, absolutely, uh, his we we talked about him going to see the therapist and her realizing that she's not talking to Barry. And what you realize yes. after having seen yes the um some of the other personalities, you see that. James McAvoy is playing Dennis, pretending to be Barry, and that is absolutely fascinating uh, to watch, just um, from a performance standpoint, uh, and his ability to shift between, yeah, the uh, the 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 personalities and shift, like everything every character is completely different and, and and fully realized and it's just it's i i that was like the thing that i found the coolest that just I, I, all the performances were great don't like the the woman playing the psychiatrist was so good and having been a psych major and having thought out what I was going to go into was counseling until I realized I wasn't nearly sensitive enough to do that. Um, but the whole, you know, the, this, one of the classes we had was talking about with counseling, you don't drag them into your world. You step into theirs. You've got to and watching her realize that she can't get Dennis to move towards her. So she, instead, she moves towards Dennis while keeping one foot in what would be reality. And, or at least what was perceived reality. Um, <laughs> my other impression, though, was I looked at, because uh, Nicole and I watched this last night again, and I looked at her, I was like, I forgot. There's just like no real happy ending here.
0: Mm.
1: There's yeah. no... Casey has to go back to her abusive uncle. The the bad guy gets away. People are dead. It is, I mean, it's a pretty bleak ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sometimes uh, that is M. Night Shyamalan's MO is that we get a kind of a bleak ending. Um, we don't always get the happy ending like uh Lady in the Water. Or um, Unbreakable, where I mean, granted, the ending of Unbreakable still has that. Oh, this is we discovered something bad, but there's still good, and there's still a good aspect to it. Uh, and this one was just like when when they were like, "Hey, your uncle's here to get you," and she just sits in the back of that police car. I was that was heartbreaking to watch. Because there was a lot going on in that scene with that character.
0: Yeah. Um, that character, by the way, uh, the, the uh, lead victim um, whose name uh, suddenly is escaping me. Um, the, uh, she is played by Anya Joy Taylor um, who is most recently known for having been in uh, the wonderful series on Netflix, The Queen's Gambit, Um, and Anna Taylor-Joy. I think I said Anya Joy-Taylor. It's Anya Taylor-Joy playing Casey. Good. I'm caught up now. Um, (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, But she (laughs) brings a little bit more to her reading of the character than just a simple damsel in distress. For sure. Um, And the thing about uh, Anya, the actress is she has these gorgeous wide set eyes, which always seem to be taking in 120% of the action going on around her. Mm -hmm. And she uses that to great effect in in this movie. Um, I would Put uh, uh do a little bit of pushback on your assessment of the uh, end being totally bleak, and and here's why. Okay. Um obviously at the end of Unbreakable, we think that this is just a one-shot movie and and it has a very nice resolution tied up. By the time that split came out and rumors started creeping around. Uh, or spoilers, I should say, of the very ending, Uh, it occurred to me that this was a movie that made no pretense that it was a standalone. When you saw Bruce Willis at the end uh, just coming by in character, uh, you knew that something more was coming. Um, Although I don't know that there had been a specific announcement uh, at that time that Glass was to follow uh, the first two movies, you definitely got an impression that there was more to come. So that kind of mitigated the gloom and doom for me. Um, but to double back to your original point, the, when, when you're discussing this movie, uh, it has to start and end with James McAvoy. His performance is absolutely spellbinding. Um, He does uh, an incredible job, as you say, of differentiating between the personalities um, of which in total there are 23. I think we end up seeing about half of those. I Uh, think we
1: counted last night, I think we counted like 12 or 13 that we actually get to get a glimpse of even.
0: Yes, and and they're all so thoroughly developed. It's amazing. And M. Knight helps us out a little bit in distinguishing between the uh, personalities by, well, obviously with Patricia, it's the heels and the pearls. Uh, but uh, Barry has the little skull cap. Um, and uh, y- it makes it easier than it could have been to tell the personalities apart, except when, as you mentioned, there's that brilliant sequence of... Um, James McAvoy, playing a mentally ill person, playing a personality that is impersonating another personality. Uh-huh. So it's like four degrees of separation. There, <laughs> it's just amazing to watch.
1: Um, the shift in his posture and the and the twitches of his eye. And just the, again, the, he kept adjusting the candy dish. Yes. And that's what was she, where she was like, that's not, Barry doesn't do that. I think yeah. this is Dennis.
0: Yeah. There are actors that are great. And then there are actors that are amazing because their physicality, uh, they use their physicality with such a consciousness um, as to just milk every bit out of a character or characters in this case, and James McAvoy certainly does that. Um, Betty Buckley, uh, as the therapist, is also a very good anchor um, for the movie, uh, both because she offers a sympathetic view uh, of Kevin. Um, Her analysis uh and you can speak to this uh mr psych major um <laughs> but her analysis seems to be pretty legit uh of the of the issues in play with an exception that we'll get to here in a moment um but uh i it's a performance that gets better the more that you look back on it and particularly when you compare it to a performance we'll see in Glass uh, by the normally wonderful Sarah Paulson, who has a similar role of a psychological expert, mm-hmm. um, but uh, with starkly different results. Again, we'll talk about that in the five minutes that we devote to Glass. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, okay, so spoiler alert, I don't like glass, but uh, Larry will, will work to convince me that it's better than I think it is.
1: We're just here to balance each other out on that Absolute, one.
0: Absolutely, with the yin and the yang and yes. stuff. Um so, so many things work well about this movie. Um, let's talk a little bit about what makes it problematic because um, here on the show... We're always looking at ways that uh, the disabled, uh, neurodivergent and uh, otherwise uh, are represented in film. And this movie caused a kind of a, a, a kerfuffle in the psychiatric community because as wonderful as a movie as it is and as great as the performances are, we have here mental illness being uh, viewed, being associated strongly with uh, murder and and criminality. Um, And in that respect, it's kind of like uh, Unbreakable, which associated uh, Samuel L. Jackson's disability with uh, criminality. Um, So, what was your take on that, Larry? Well,
1: you know, that, uh, that's that was my pro- problem with it is that, yes, once again, we take someone with uh, what on, I'm going to speak to two different points here in a second. And I'm trying to figure out how to merge them here without stepping on myself, which I've already done. Um, but yeah, you, initially on the surface, you have someone who has um mental health issues who is vulnerable who is being portrayed as a criminal but you know you've got all these other personalities that are just these high functioning except for Hedwig um but they're these these high functioning um fully realized people with different issues and different problems and and by problems I mean Health issues, even you know, the like we said, Jade has diabetes and Mm -hmm. legit has to take insulin, whereas you know, some of the others are perfectly healthy. Or, you know, obviously, I think Barry was, yeah, it was Barry that was played uh, very, I will say, very respectfully, but was obviously homosexual. as compared to dennis who is trying to not be a predator but is obviously a predator that his he knows that it's wrong that he wants to see young girls dance in various states of undress so i'm saying all that to say you know dissociative dissociative identity disorder is very it's one very rare two Usually, the personalities have no idea that the other one exists. Um, but this is also a movie, and as we realize, he, Kevin, doesn't have DID. Because when we get to the end, we realize that there is legit a supernatural aspect to this. So, while, I, yes throughout the whole movie it is associating mental health and specifically DID with criminality and violent behavior. What we realize is that he doesn't have that disorder. There are legit 24 different beings living inside of, of Kevin and, um, the beast is a real being that comes out and has these incredible powers so you know that was I agree with you on every point that you've already that you've made and yes it's I always get upset when writers take mental health issues and be like okay well he's He's schizophrenic. So therefore he is this, you know, I, I, not for nothing. I liked, uh, Oh, I am the word, the the name of the show. Um, Monk, because here's this guy that has all of the problems. Who's still a hero Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and still, you know, is, is trying to function. So it, it, it does for me in particular, um, cause I have a soft spot for, for mental health issues. Um, and, and so it, 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 griped me until, you know, I remember that there is a supernatural aspect. All these people are legit living inside of him and it should have, <laughs> but how, how's a regular psychiatrist going to know that?
0: Right. You know? Right. Um, I think. When you look at the broad picture, it's more problematic than when you actually delve into the details. Yes. Um, the, the broad implication uh, is a general link between mental illness and violence. That is as problematic as it gets. But um, the performances bring such nuance to it that you realize that before you even know about the beast and the supernatural nature of things, you know that it's not about um, just someone who's mentally ill being violent. There are shades to the characters. There are some uh, personalities, some alters that are much more clear headed and, and sympathetic and, understanding which kind of mitigates the whole oh mental illness uh split personalities bad uh or evil um when in fact only only a couple out of the 23 are evil um they just so happen to be the ones in, in charge right yes now. yes but then m Knight hedges his bets by saying exactly what you said and it was a point i was going to get to that this isn't D.I.D. at all. Uh, there is something legitimately supernatural going on. Now, my question is, are all of the altars actually spirits on their own? Or does uh, Kevin legit have D.I.D., but that has made him susceptible to possession by this beast or... Or whatever that entity is, I don't know if you actually had thought about that or not.
1: No, I had. That's a really interesting. That's a really interesting aspect to think that because he was already susceptible to these, you know, to because Dennis was created as someone to protect Kevin when Kevin was very young.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's when. Dennis st- stepped into the light right? because Dennis could keep things clean. And if things were clean, Kevin didn't get, didn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you have to, yeah, man, I w- see, and that's why I wish we could have expanded more on the, the psychological, psychological aspects of when did these, when did these altars manifest themselves at what age did they manifest themselves and for what reasons
0: mm-hmm.
1: did they manifest you know and i i understand that's like that's getting way deeper in the details than maybe th- i should want to get into this movie but i think i think it'd be a very interesting
0: it'd um, be a great novel for what it's worth absolutely i would love to see a novelization of split that handles these kind of things give me a graphic novel even yeah
1: I say even like those are any less right you know but you know I would love to see a graphic novel where they really delve into that uh you hear me M. Night Shyamalan get
0: on yes yes what else are we doing right now yeah
1: I I, I know some artists that'll work cheap just give me a call
0: (laughs) yeah um so in that respect uh it kind of um Battles off criticism simply because we're not dealing with real-world DID. We're dealing with something that's like a a mashup of um, multiple personalities and demonic possession, or or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Jade, the personality that or the alter that's um, uh, diabetic. Um, that was one of the criticisms too of the movie in that there's no evidence that DID actually changes your body chemistry or anything. But again, that criticism is blunted by the fact that, well, this is a movie, it's a story. Yeah, It's in the service of the story, which then opens a whole new Pandora's box of, should we use something that is legitimately... Uh, a, a disability or an illness a, as a gateway to a story. Uh, on some level, that feels disrespectful. On another, it's, it makes for an amazing story. Right. Um, and, right. and let's remember again that we probably wouldn't be having this much of a discussion if it weren't for James McAvoy's amazing performance uh, of all of those alters for sure like i
1: i could see us i could easily dismiss this movie if it weren't for the the incredible performances um because i mean i almost did dismiss it because i was like uh you know i I'm, i don't know if i'm into this i like james McAvoy. it seems interesting but it seems more And not that I dislike horror movies, but it just, at the time it came out, I was like, ah, and then uh, my friend Jeff, who he and I had went to see unbreakable together. He went to see this movie and then he just texts me and he's like, you have to watch split. Don't ask questions. Don't be, just go in. He said, you're gonna, you just need to watch this movie. And then of course, when I did, I was like, Oh my God, it's in the same universe. And he's like, yeah, we finally got the sequel that we've been wanting. Now we're going to get another one. And so, you know, shout out to Jeffrey for forcing me to, to watch a movie, but yeah, I could, you could easily dismiss it. Even if, even if they had cast other actors, I don't know if the performances would have had the, the same, the same punch as they did because again McAvoy is so perfect yeah in those roles and and like you said um on is it Anna or Anya the, Anya. The, the Anya okay yes um you know you're talking about her eyes and how ha- sometimes she's deer in the headlights and sometimes it's an animal that's obviously um watching for a predator um, and not a scared animal, but just an alert animal, yeah, being yeah.
0: observant. Um, well, and she let's talk about her career arc, which <laughs> is meteoric. Um, she, uh, obviously was in this, uh, you could call her breakthrough role the one in in Queen's Gambit, which, if you haven't seen it, um, Even though it's about chess and you might think it's boring, please do yourself a favor and check it out because there are some amazing performances and more tension out of the game of chess than you would have ever thought possible. Uh, So I highly recommend that. But anyway, uh, but before all of that, before Split and before Queen's Gambit, she gave a knockout turn in The Witch. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, Larry, but... um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's a uh, story about a witch, um, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's uh, in colonial America, and it's another one where the performances are just amazing, and it has a climax that it's like, well, that's a story for another day. But uh, yes, Anya, uh, her performance uh, in its own way just as strong as James McAvoy's and, we, and we've already talked about Betty Buckley um, so Split on its own terms is a fantastic movie much like uh, Unbreakable uh, on its own merits was a really really good movie um, so then we come to Glass which wraps up the whole thing if I could say one last thing about
1: yeah, I'm sorry. One Obviously. last thing about split is beyond the problematic nature of mental health issues, and they're violent and scary. Yep. Beyond that, I feel like going again. We're I'm going back to McAvoy. I might as well write a letter that just starts with "Dear Jimmy, yeah. please marry me." <laughs> Guys, I am just all <laughs> over this guy today. But um, he, I felt like he made sure that each one of the, the altars was played with, with dignity and care.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, He gave each one of them. He he didn't dismiss any of them. He made sure he knew each one of these people and made sure to, to play, even though yes, at the end he turns into literally a snarling beast with, with super strength and agility. Mm Mm-hmm. Um even then though, as the beast, the beast has empathy and in its own way, kindness.
0: Motive Yeah. It's, it, it's a fully drawn character.
1: Yeah. And and so I really that to me, again, besides the problematic nature, the real takeaway is is how McAvoy and to I mean obviously. To to credit where credits due, M Night Shyamalan's writing, they made sure that regardless, they were given a a an actual performance and yes. an actual an actual life on screen, and I, I if nothing else, I appreciated that.
0: Well, and you can tell that there is as much care given to the the major alters as to ones like Orwell that we get like a line or two from. Mm -hmm. But you can tell even from the reading of those lines that thought was given uh, and care was taken to developing that altar. So, yeah, uh, uh, long story short, James McAvoy, I'll watch him in anything. Um, Just a fantastic craftsman of an actor. So... Let's, uh, let's um, shift our attention to Glass. Um, let me tee it up with a, um, a plot summary of that. So settle in, won't you? <laughs> Nearly 20 years after turning in Elijah Price to the authorities at the end of Unbreakable, David Dunn has embraced his superhuman vigilante ego dubbed the Overseer and is aided by his now adult son, Joseph. After apprehending two male delinquents who have assaulted a man for views on the internet, Dunn returns to the business of Dunn home security. It is revealed that he is hunting after Kevin Wendell Crumb slash the Horde slash the Beast after the events of his exploits in the event of Split, which in this timeline occurred three weeks ago. Upon returning home, David struggles with the fact that his wife left him, not able to cope with her husband's superhuman exploits and beliefs. Meanwhile, Kevin Wendell Crumb, slash the Horde, has kidnapped a small group of cheerleaders and holds them hostage, preparing to feed them to the beast in an abandoned factory. Dunn walks through the streets the next morning, brushing against people who pass him by in the crowds in order to see into their past and deduce who the beast is. He brushes against the nine-year-old personality of Kevin, Hedwig, and sees a flashback of him speaking to corpses of young women his ego the Beast had just killed. That night, while Kevin transforms into the Beast and presumably attacks a group of homeless people, Dunn dons the rain-slicker overcoat of the Overseer and arrives at the factory. After freeing the girls, he is attacked by the Beast, who is quicker and more agile than him. But the overseer is stronger than the beast, and when the beast attempts to crush him, overseer leaps out of a nearby window, causing them both to land in the streets below. The two rise up and charge each other once more, but are stopped by a group of police led by a mysterious woman who encourages Dunn to give himself up to avoid hurting officers of the law. The beast is reduced to a confused and scared Kevin by the flashing lights that the police have. The two are then arrested and brought to Ravenhill Memorial Institution. Joseph watches helplessly as his father and Kevin are placed in holding cells. Dunn is held in a room with hypnosis lights meant to flash should he ever uh, show outright forms of violence. Also in the institution is Elijah Price, still serving his time for bombing the East Rail 177 in order to find David Dunn and discover his powers of physical invincibility. The mysterious woman from earlier reveals herself to be Dr. Ellie Staple, a psychiatrist played by Sarah Paulson. Elle Staple uh, tries to convince the men that they are normal people with compulsions of grandeur, but consistently fails. She then tries to appeal to Price's mother Joseph Dunn and Casey Kick, Casey Cook, sorry, former victim and friend of Kevin, but fails again. Staple gives the men three days to be convinced that they are deluded figures and not superhumans, otherwise, they will be brought to trial for their crimes. Staple then calls Dunn and Kevin into a room to test their psyches. However, a seemingly dormant and unresponsive Elijah Price still wheelchair-bound from the broken spine he received down his, from his fall down a flight of stairs and unbreakable, is wheeled in and brought alongside the men, much to David Dunn's disgust in being associated with him. During the meeting, Staple recalls Kevin's past abuse from his mother, which spurred the transformation of the horde, as well as the time David was nearly drowned in a swimming pool, which nearly killed him the first time water was revealed to be his kryptonite. She then tests Price's psyche by recalling a time in which he broke his arm on a ride at a carnival, bringing to mind the extreme fragility of his bones. Later that night, Elijah Price breaks free from his cell and meets with Kevin, who is in his Patricia personality. After an intelligent discussion, Elijah Price reveals that he has not been taking his sedative medication, instead hiding it inside his wheelchair, thus keeping his wits about him and remaining sharp as ever. He encourages Kevin slash Patricia to meet with him the next night and show him the beast. Before Price leaves Kevin slash Patricia, ask what his name is. Price turns his head and replies, first name Mr., last name Glass." Upon returning to his room, Price is captured by Staple, who performs a prefrontal lobotomy on him, knowing that his genius must be quelled before he can put any plan into motion. The seemingly brain-dead Price is brought back to his cell, but suddenly comes alive and kills his caretaker by slashing his throat with a shard of broken glass. It is then revealed that Price had planned to be caught by Staple, and had sabotaged the machine earlier should the operation be conducted on him. Price then escapes to Kevin's cell and deactivates the hypnotic lights. He and Kevin make their way to a secret room where Kevin transforms into the beast and looks over Price, discovering that he, too, has been broken. The Beast takes an immediate liking to Price, but not before Price explains his plans to have the Beast and the Overseer battle each other at the top of the just-erected highest skyscraper in the city of Philadelphia. It is there that the whole world will see and discover that superheroes do indeed exist. The Beast agrees and helps Price make his way through the facility. Price then communicates with David in his cell and explains that he deactivated the water sprinklers. He encourages David to escape, but David initially refuses. Price then explains that should David refuse to escape and fight the beast, Price will blow up a chemical company, killing many people. Having no other choice, David reluctantly breaks down the door, dons his rain slicker and runs out of the institution. Price and Beast begin by confronting an orderly who had maltreated Price years earlier. The Beast crushes the orderly and forces him to kneel before Price, before beating him to death as Price watches, shaking his head at the man's stubbornness. The Beast then wheels Price through the halls, beating down every security force that tries to hinder them. The Beast captures two nurses and forces them into a van, where he keeps them hostage. Two police officers show up, but the beast makes short work of them. Price's mother, Joseph and Casey, arrive in time to see the beast, notice the overseer approaching. Price sits back in his wheelchair and watches in excitement as the beast charges overseer and the two engage in a fight. Staples sees this and calls up security. Casey rushes out, hoping to calm Kevin down but he is too busy fighting the Overseer. Price recognizes her as the one the Beast let go and smiles in fascination at her. Armed police arrive and separate the Overseer from the Beast, but are quickly overpowered. Overseer manages to push the forces attacking him into an enclosed compartment before locking them in, while, bandit, while the Beast manages to kill and eat some of his attackers <laughs> like you do. Uh, Overseer frees the nurses and the Beast held hostage, that the Beast held hostage, before being attacked by the Beast. Price had informed the Beast that the Overseer's weakness is water and directs him to a water tank the institution uses. Joseph intervenes and explains to Kevin that Kevin's father was on the East Rail 177 as well, which Price had destroyed, thus killing Kevin's father and creating the Beast. Upon hearing this, Price is overcome with delight and amazement. Upon realizing he created both a superhero and a supervillain and declares himself a mastermind. (laughs) The Beast thanks Price I'm not kidding, folks. This is the movie. The Beast thanks Price for creating him, but then explains that he must protect Kevin at all costs, right before breaking Price's collarbone. The Overseer tries to distract Beast from Price, saying that his fight is with him, which Price finds amusing. The Beast then punches Price in the chest, breaking his ribs, which in turn pierce his lungs and mortally wound him. Price exclaims with pain and falls out of his wheelchair, dying upon the ground. The beast flings overseer David Dunn into the water tank and fights him in there, easily overpowering him. Dunn manages to break through the wall and the two splash out onto the institution's lawn. The water from the tank pours out as well and feels a nearby p- pothole. The Beast says to Dunn that they will finish their battle at the top of the skyscraper and begins running off in that direction. Staple convinces Casey to calm the Beast down to avoid any other violence, and she agrees. Casey catches up to the Beast and appeals to him, causing him to calm down and revert to the innocent Kevin. Once his defenses are down, a sniper shoots Kevin in the stomach now that the bulletproof skin of the Beast is gone. Kevin bleeds out and begins dying. More police forces show up and Joseph asks them to help his father as he is very weak. One of the security forces grabs David and drags him over to the water-filled pothole, forcibly drowning his face in it. David is too weak to fight back and is easily overcome. Staple arrives and orders the guard to wait as she grabs David's hand. He then sees a flashback to her life in which she is a member of a secret society monitoring the actions and works of superhuman beings, quelling them should they draw too much attention. She tells David that if she convinced him he was human, she would have let him live, but prices and the beast's machinations prevented that. She then leaves and David realizes his true insignificance as the guard repeatedly bashes David's face into the puddle ruthlessly drowning him. Kevin dies in Casey's arms, finally finding the light and finding peace in the safety of his friend's arms. Elijah lays dying in the parking lot, a broken and pitiful mess. Staple arrives and tells him that she and members of her following have suppressed superhuman masterminds to retain a safe society, preventing overarching divides of gods among men. After Staple leaves, Elijah Price's mother kneels over her dying son. Price explains painfully that he was not a mistake, to which his mother smiles proudly at him, saying, no, you were spectacular. Price smiles wryly and dies peacefully. Believing her mission to be a success, Staple deletes the footage of all the security cameras which recorded the fight between Overseer and Beast. However, upon closer examination, she realizes that Price had hacked the computers and live-streamed all the events to a private network. Thus, it was never Price's plan to escape the facility and force the Beast to battle Overseer at the top of the skyscraper, as such a plan would be too elaborate and cost too much to film. No, I just added that. Um, (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) His plan and everything he worked for was now a complete success. Staple leaves the security room and screams in anger, realizing her failure. Price's mother, Joseph, and Casey receive copies of the footage and upload it, revealing it all to the public in the Philadelphia skyscraper. The film ends with them sitting together as the videos of Overseer and the Beast and their fantastic feats are relayed and spread to everyone's feed and the daily news, revealing the world of superheroes to the public. The main title of Glass appears on the screen one last time, and the end credits are laced with shards of glass through which, through which scenes from the film, as well as the previous films of Unbreakable and Split, connect the whole story together. There. I've done it. I've given you the plot of glass. And now I'm going to turn it over to my friend Larry Smith <laughs> to okay, uh, look, break it down for us.
1: Okay. I will say, and I hate, I I, I love, okay. <laughs> love is strong. I really liked the movie when I watched it. Um, I had moments, like with a lot of M. Night Shyamalan mo- movies, where you're just like, this is really good. And then. There's the ending.
0: <laughs>
1: and I even I, I, I texted Nicole because she was she wasn't home. I was watching it. I texted her. I was like, I hate this ending. And I'll tell you why because the villains get to die comforted in the arms of, of loved ones and empathetic people. while David, the hero, dies in ai am gonna say this and it'll be the one time i've been really good david dunn has his oh and his his wife is dead by the way she died of leukemia um so after his wife has died he has been protecting the city trying to help people they don't even give him the dignity of being comforted by his son and his death they drown him in a goddamn mud puddle mm-hmm And that infuriated me because, and even like when you're reading, reading it again, I'm sitting here and I'm like clenching my fists and I'm like, Oh, if I ever get the chance to meet him, Night Shyamalan, I'm going to be poking him in the chest, but I'm going (laughs) to warn him first. I'm going to like, I'm going to poke you in the chest because you killed your hero in a mud puddle. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's some artistic commentary that I'm just not smart enough to pick up. But let's talk about the rest of the movie.
0: So you're saying the ending of the movie is unjust, whereas I will posit in a moment that it was crap. Um, so two sides <laughs> of... <laughs> <laughs> but yes. uh, but uh, yeah, um, my overall impressions of Glass, I I didn't like it. Uh, as you may have deduced well, and I'm, I'm curious
1: why because I know why I liked it but I want to know why you didn't like it
0: I think part of the problem was that I watched Glass within days of having rewatched Split and it was my first time having seen Glass I had not watched Glass before uh, it came up on the podcast schedule so um in light of such a nuanced wonderfully performed n- cleverly written uh split glass just seemed so hollow <laughs> to me um by comparison mm-hmm. uh you would think that getting finally getting Bruce Willis's character and Samuel L. Jackson's character and Kevin, uh, James McAvoy's character, together in the same movie. Wow, there's going to be some fireworks, and it just does not happen. Okay. Uh, the, the parts are significantly greater than the whole in this case. Um, you don't get to see nearly as much uh, of James McAvoy's great acting with the exception of one scene where uh, he keeps getting flashed by the strobe yeah. lights and reverting into the other, uh, the other altars. But even that seemed more like a, a cinematic parlor trick to me than really deep acting and, and, and powerful acting. Um, Sarah Paulson's character just drove me crazy. Now, <clears throat> I realize that at the end, we end up that her um, psychiatric rehabilitation uh, act was just that, an act, mm-hmm. and that she had more nefarious purposes. But I mean, she's just so dumb, as dumber than you would think. Of course, now, we, we learned later that it's a ruse, but that's not as much of a shock because she hasn't been acting like a competent therapist for the whole movie. It and turns they, out she's not. <laughs> and it turns out she's not. But they give her these lines. And and I should say, and I should have said this right from the beginning, Sarah Paulson is one of my favorite actresses uh, working today. Uh, her American horror story work is incredible I actually uh, fell in love with her acting back when she was on Studio 60 uh, the short-lived um, Aaron Sorkin uh, series that kind of uh, was a riff on Saturday Night Live and uh, was
1: underappreciated it was yeah, a great, moon, yeah. or great movie great show
0: yeah so uh, long time fan of Sarah Paulson and she is given ridiculous ridiculous dialogue in this movie and um, it's just it, it just drives me crazy and then when we get to the ending and she is part of this secret society suppressing superheroes I mean it that just struck me as so tacked on and so it seems like if you want to suppress superheroes, there would be a more effective way of doing it than going around the country trying to convince them that they're not superheroes. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that just—it was dumb to me. Um, Change my mind. Convince me.
1: <laughs> but I think you—you've you've convinced me. I hate this movie now. No. Um, okay, so no, here's my what work I, is done here. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Um, I okay I went in with no expectations mm-hmm. um again Jeffrey my buddy who we both we actually wanted to see glass together but we live three and a half hours from each other and obviously that didn't work out we'll just fix it. Well yeah um so he had said go in with no expectations I said okay I said is it bad he goes I'm not going to say it's bad I'm not going to say it's good it it's really fun at times, and that's Jeff and I have always had this rating. There's good movies, there's bad movies, and then there's fun movies. I love Highlander, the first Highlander. I is do it, too. Is it good? Not really. Is it fun? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was. I just did as another example. I just did Lou's show, where we um we talk about harley davidson and the marlboro man there's a is plug that, yeah <laughs> listen to <laughs> Lucio. um is it a good movie god no it's horrible is it fun absolutely so i went in with jeff's recommendation of just go in no no expectations he's like at times it's really pretty there's pretty cinematography there's some cool moments there's some cool shots He's like you get to see um, David Dunn be more of the superhero and be more settled into his powers than we've than we got to see in Unbreakable. I was like, okay, cool. So I went in with those and like when they have them lined up and the the different lighting on them and the different colors to colors represent, game. I I liked that stuff again. Being a comic book guy, love that type of of cinematography i love that type of visualization i liked the idea that i didn't like it but i i I enjoyed that moment where david dunn was almost convinced that he wasn't that they were right that he was a normal man that just happens to be pretty strong Mm -hmm. but then when like when elijah is like hey you got a choice bust out prove to yourself that you're and the fact that he punches the door off its hinges Mm -hmm. i'm like that's pretty rad that's a rad moment um i liked the fight between he see and i'm picking i'm cherry picking the things that i liked yep um did i cry when they killed david dunn you damn right i did i sat in my chair i had i had watched about half the movie took the dog for a walk um, and then I came back and finish and I'm sitting and just watching this, just bawling because <clears throat> again, I hated, I hated that they killed that character off. Cause I, he was such a, well, he was a good character because he did the right things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I love a character that does, the right things for the right because for so long in in media we have had i don't i'm not even gonna call them anti-heroes we've had villains doing what they'll say well the wrong things for the right reasons but turns out no they're just doing them for them. vic Mackey, uh, uh walter white these are all villains and david dunn was a hero legit just a good man who was like oh i can do extraordinary things and i'm going to do that to protect people and so yeah i did i hate that absolutely did i want to see more substance between elijah and david well for the absolute again absolutely i wanted to see i wanted to see david and and elijah be able to have a conversation with each other Mm -hmm. because they were friends yeah it just again like in uh, elijah mentions an unbreakable the villain and the hero a lot of times start out as friends batman Mm -hmm. and the joker can i there's I forget what the end of what storyline but they end up laughing together even though batman's about to put him away again they're laughing together they can they have a relationship and 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 they they don't do enough with that i feel like yeah sarah paulson was wasted Mm -hmm. um because i'm with you the everything that she has done she's been fantastic even serenity the the firefly movie she's the person on the hologram who's like, here's what happened to this planet, and here's how we made Reavers.
0: Get out of town.
1: That's her. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. I had no idea.
1: It took me going back and rewatch. I've watched that movie so many times. Um, but going back and wa- and catching her, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Sarah Paulson.
0: Wow. Oh, my God.
1: She's great. She's, she's amazing in everything she does. And I feel like she did the best, absolute best she could with what she had to work with yeah again overall overall i enjoyed it for the comic bookiness um, for the the uh, build in certain places overall but when i get down to certain like it's a like it's a, a, a multi-course dinner right at a nice mm-hmm. restaurant mm-hmm. i can look at a meal and be like overall i liked that but here's the elements i hated mm-hmm. and well, yeah there are definitely elements i hate i really hate that the beast was so easily manipulated
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah, because he's not that one-dimensional and split yeah 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 i uh, and, and where this movie goes <clears throat> astray multiple times is by forgetting what made the first two things, uh, first two installments, uh, so effective. I mean, you pointed out the scene where, uh, David is, is doubting himself, uh, if wondering if he's just a super strong man, uh and it's, it's decently acted and it's a touching moment, but legitimately there's no way his character should feel that way because it wasn't just that he was super strong. He was super strong and oh, there's the whole thing about, I can telepathically pick up on a person's history by touching them. You know, that's not mental illness. That's a a superpower, which has borne out in him being able to save several people's lives because of it so even that yeah uh, when you if you give it more than two seconds of thought it's like yeah but um and it's just ah it drives me crazy um well, and
1: again it's it's the problematic <laughs> nature of of mental health because I, legitimately, Elijah probably has some mental health issues as well that are untouched. They're overshadowed by his physical issues. Correct. And... and, But it's still... Them guys bad. Them guys good. Yeah. What's them guys? Oh, them bad too. It, it, it takes all these complex issues that, again, you like you said, they've built in the first two movies. And... They, and they just don't do anything with them, I guess, is what I'm trying to... And what they do do with it is doo-doo,
0: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, my friend. <laughs> I'm supposed to be convincing you that
1: this movie was good. It's not good. Again, it's not a good movie, especially compared to the first two. Yeah, There are so many things that... that and but, I think it's the standard the standard criticism of this movie. There were so many things that made the first two great that just, they didn't do a darn yeah. thing with.
0: It reverts to a comic book movie, which would be okay, except it reverts to a dumb comic book movie. Yes. It doesn't follow its own logic uh, a lot of the times. Um, and, and the few nice pieces that you you mention almost... Uh, hinder the movie even more because it pulls you out of what a crap movie this is by oh here's a nice moment Yeah, here's a cool color scheme well you know when I was watching Split I didn't think about color schemes or you know I was just no you're not
1: because Split you didn't have to at grasp at straws to find something to actually
0: enjoy about it yep 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 so Yeah, I mean, and again, being probably if I had had to wait three years uh, to see Glass um, and saw it immediately when it came out, uh, I would have been a little, I may have been a little bit more kind to it just because I was hungry to see the next chapter. But, you know, watching the three movies in fairly close proximity, like I've done for this podcast. It just makes you realize that there's two fantastic movies, and it it may have just been better off if they left it at that. Um,
1: well, and I've, i but here's the thing: we haven't talked about in Glass the M Night Shyamalan twist is not that there is a secret organization; it's that this movie is bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm a lot more forgiving of M. Night Shyamalan than, than some other people are. I will watch anything yeah. that he does. I'll defend if... Lady in the Water against anybody. Me too. Me too. I loved that movie. Um, but I... I
1: also am not going to argue with you about any points that you make about Glass. I can well, tell you what I like about it, but I cannot defend any of the other points. And here's what I wanted, though. here's what i legit wanted and what i thought they were building to is elijah david and kevin realizing because i could i could kind of start seeing the writing on the wall that oh there's a secret organization pulling strings before you know he wasn't hiding it incredibly well i was hoping that the three of them would essentially join forces as you see sometimes in good comic books where yes Lex Luthor will join forces with Superman to beat the big bad yep and and you know that's what I was hoping for and then here's you know, I, I was hoping also that yes, let's reveal that there's superheroes into the world, and then that opens up an even bigger universe. And how cool would that be? But no, they kill David Dunn in a puddle. Yeah, the man deserved more.
0: Yeah. Oh, and speaking uh, again of things being laid out there not too subtly, uh, the second that we get our first uh, long shot. Uh, of the psychiatric hospital and see that gigantic water tower I'm like well there you go that's that's gonna figure in later and man I don't I don't want movies that hand it to me that obviously right uh, and you know that's
1: you say you know it's a comic book movie and I know we all love comic book movies we just don't like the we don't like the bad ones
0: right yes
1: I mean come on um blank man Worked better than than par- most of Glass, and yes. I hate that because man, I wanted I I wanted to come in and defend it and be like, look, here's the reasons. But as you laid out your reasons, I'm like, nope, you're right. No, nope, <laughs> damn it, no, I, I I didn't realize didn't realize I didn't like this movie. I just was I just wanted it to be good because I'd been waiting for this movie.
0: Yeah. Um yeah it's
1: not on. no I probably shouldn't say what I was about to say (laughs) (laughs) okay never
0: mind (laughs) you can tell me off the record Um, Uh, yeah
1: I'll I'll give you that joke off the record
0: it's (laughs) excellent excellent well I think we've lambasted a glass about as much as we can yeah
1: I think Um, as much as we legally can before somebody comes after us yes
0: yes um (laughs) Uh, but the the too long didn't read version is watch Unbreakable and, and watch uh, Split. Appreciate them for what they are. Um, keep in mind their problematic nature, but for the love of God, don't watch Glass. Uh, or if you like disappointment, watch Glass. Watch uh, Glass and tell us why we're wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Leave it in the comments or something. Um, but uh, I'm going to move to our conclusion of the episode here of this super-sized episode uh, of you from the back row. Uh, Larry, tell us what's going on in your world.
1: Um, well, let's see. Um... <laughs> immediately, you know, my default is to make jokes and I had to just pull myself back from making jokes um convince me we're actually working on getting some new recordings down I'm actually I've got a handful of of episodes that need to be released with some local comics that I feel um people should know more about because they're they're really good and they're really funny and they're really good people um and so I've got a handful that I'm going to be releasing but then we're also working on trying to get some uh some some new uh so let's just say some really cool guests on uh to convince me with larry smith um i'm also uh co-host of zig and larry ignore a topic which um is not as cohesive as this podcast um we legit put it right in the title we decided that since zig and i have been friends for over 20 years and have never managed to have an adult conversation we might as well just give truth in advertising so if you like two guys who do a d plus effort on research and then barely talk about what they uh their subject is we're a lot of fun we're we're a good uh podcast we want people to feel like they're just hanging out with two old friends so i recommend listening to us not at work unless your work is cool with having cocktails while 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 you're there (laughs) but uh and then uh the world is starting to open up little by little. Um, So uh, I did get to do a headline weekend at Mason city limits. Recently uh, Mason city limits, comedy club, which is one of the best comedy clubs that people don't know about. Yeah. Um, Agreed. It is small venue, intimate. Um, Chris, the owner is that's the other nice thing. Chris is a comedian himself um who owns a comedy club so he treats his comics the way he wants to be treated um he and i have become good friends and i i think the world of him uh but i mentioned that and i i use every platform i can to say anytime i can um support small independently owned venues whether that be your local punk rock club um small comedy clubs um, even uh, breweries that have showrooms, do your best to support these small, independent, locally owned venues wherever you happen to be. Um, because if you don't, they go away, and when they go away, you might not notice it right now, but you'll feel the hole in your in your um, in your community yeah. because you won't have the entertainment um that one i think we all crave right now and two will really crave once the world finally can go back to doing what we what we've been doing so absolutely support mason city limits but in general support all your small local comedy clubs and music venues and and whatnot
0: excellent absolutely good advice um also um want to direct people's attention to uh you mentioned your appearance on uh mr lou Hare's uh guilty pleasures episode about harley davidson and the marlboro man check that out as well yep and
1: my co-host and and good friend zig got to be uh that was our our first um Uh, guest spot on another podcast as as a duo so it was it's a lot of fun
0: outstanding so check it out but for right now uh this is steve sykes i'm larry smith and thank you for joining us on view from the back row we'll see you on the next episode
1: i did wave in case anyone was wondering